Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. one when Mordecai perceived all that was done Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry go with me to chapter number 7 verses 1 through 7 So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen. And the king said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. What is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor... In thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition, and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen or bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he? Where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the king rising, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath went into the palace garden and Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king we'll resume reading in verse 9 and Aharabona one of the chamberlains before the king behold also the gallows 50 cubits high which Haman had made for Mordecai, Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. And let's look at chapter 9, a couple of verses there. Verse 22. And as the day wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. And the Jews overtook or undertook to do as they had begun, and as Mordecai had written unto them. I want you to notice verse 22. It says, And as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies 
and the month which was turned, everybody say turned, turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning unto a good day. I want to preach for the next little while upon this subject, a turnaround strategy, a turnaround strategy. How many believes that God is a specialist in turning people's lives around? That was kind of weak. I wonder if there's anybody else here that believes that. You believe that God is a specialist in turning people's lives around. He really is. Praise the name of the Lord. And I just want to preach about a turnaround strategy here today. Let's lift up our voices to the Lord once again and pray for His blessing and His help, His anointing and His touch upon this service. Jesus we do need you. We need your strength. We need the power of your spirit. We need your anointing to rest upon us here today. We're praying, God, for the blessing and the touch of the Holy Ghost. We're asking, God, that you would move and move mightily in this house. We thank you, God, for your presence that we feel in the anointing that is here. And I pray it would continue in the duration of this service. We thank you for it. In the name, it's above every name, the name of Jesus. Would you clap your hands again to the Lord and give him praise with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for standing in. You may be seated. The term turnaround is used as it relates to revolutionary changes, whether it be in, in a business or corporation or company perhaps even in a government, a nation, or in its politics. But as it relates to us this morning, it can even be more personal. It could be an individual's life that experiences a turnaround. Many times, and especially here lately, you hear economists talk about a turnaround in the economy. And you hear uh, in the news or read about CEOs turning things around in their, their company and having a strategy to do so. And you also hear about political leaders discussing what they may do in their leadership to turn things around for a nation, and particularly our nation. So many times in a period of decline, a business will fire the existing CEO and maybe even hire a new one to replace him, or perhaps they will make changes in their marketing department. And it's all in an effort to initiate a turnaround, to initiate a change that they feel needs to take place. A turnaround is needed when things cannot continue on their current path without a collapse. Things cannot continue to go as usual. The status quo cannot continue to be observed. Usually you hear the word turnaround when things have reached a critical mass. When things as they are routine uh, suddenly are no longer acceptable. When current practices and procedures and ways of doing things are no longer working and the desired results are no longer being achieved. That's when you hear people begin to discuss the importance of there being a turnaround. Can I tell you, 
in our text here this morning that things had reached a critical mass at this period in Israel's history. There was a definite need of a turnaround in this people of God's life. Chapter number 4, the scripture says, And when Mordecai perceived all, when he took it all in, when he observed everything that was happening, when he perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes, which was a typical custom of mourning in that day. When someone was distraught, when someone was very disturbed, they would rend or rip their clothes and they would put ashes upon their head, denoting that they were in dire and desperate situations. And he put on sackcloth and with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. Things had reached a fevered pitch. Uh, he realized that there must be. It was not optional. They could not continue on as they were. Things could not just uh, uh, continue down the path that they had been going, but this was in need of a turnaround. This nation needed God's intervention. Something had to change. The fate of Israel was on the line. Their way of life was going to be entirely disrupted if, and I want to underscore that word if, if there was not a turnaround if there was not a change, if something did not happen and happened quickly to rescue them as a nation, they were going to be obliterated. They were going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And Mordecai realized this. And in his desperation, he humbled himself, put on sackcloth, put ashes upon his body, went out into the city and began to cry and protest against what was taking place. He beseeched his, his niece, uh, Esther, whom he had influence upon to use her position and go before the king, go into his presence and make a petition, a request to him that the nation of Israel be spared from these devious things that Haman had already devised to do. It is amazing how that biblically and even historically change comes out of challenges. Rarely does people try to change their behavior, change the, the routine and the habits of their life unless there's a challenge that arises, unless there's a desperate, a desperate situation that they fall into, unless there's something that disrupts their lifestyle, very rarely do people ever change. Very rarely do people ever seek to see situations turned around. Many of you will remember on September the 11th, 2001, you probably remember exactly where you were when the news came to you that terrorists had hijacked uh, some of our uh, planes and uh, flown them into uh, the Twin Towers in New York City and also into the Pentagon, and then the one that crashed in Pennsylvania. You remember that very vividly. Little did any of us realize when we saw the pictures and we 
looked at uh, the things that were transpiring over the next few days, little did any of us realize that from that moment, the moment that they flew those planes into those buildings, that our lives as Americans would never be the same. None of us realized the far-reaching impact that this was going to have upon us. Very few people probably realized even in uh, the ensuing days after these attacks uh, how that it was going to affect them in as far as their finances and economically and how that it was going to impact our nation as far as the future of war and, and the things that we were going to be involved in over the next couple of uh, decades. Uh, it seems like there's just been constant uh, skirmishes and wars that have broke out across the globe and this seems to inspire other terrorists to do other acts of terror in other places of our world and it's almost a common occurrence now a daily daily thing for us to be able to pick up the newspaper or hear on the radio that there is a news alert that there's been a new fresh terrorist attack that has taken place somewhere in the world and lives are being taken because of this and this is something that has almost become a way of life but before it was something that was unusual we did not realize that our lives would be disrupted we did not realize the change that was going to play, uh, take place we didn't realize how we would be impacted every time that we travel go to the airport all of the different requirements of the TSA and all the different security developments that has taken place in our society as a result of this one day. This day could be described as a day when there was a critical mass. There was something that happened that forever transformed a complete nation's way of life. Can I tell you that very few times do people actually change and make uh, lasting lifestyle changes and turnarounds without there being a challenge to the way that they're doing things currently. Amen. Unless there's a challenge to what's going on in their life right now, they see no real need to change or to make any kind of adjustment or to, to see a difference and a different result and a different outcome in their life. We can go on for years, and we are creatures of habit. We, we go on with our routines and our lifestyles, and we do things basically the same way. majority of us, we get up at about the same time. We, we do the same things basically throughout the day. We have a way that we do the things that we do. There's certain things that we like, and there's certain things that we do not care for. Certain foods that we eat, and certain regiments that we have that have become ingrained in us. And it's a part of our life and our lifestyle, the way that we live. And then, uh, from time to time, there's something that comes along. It may be a health crisis. It may be a family crisis. It may be a financial crisis. It may be a disruption on the job. 
It may be uh, the need for change in a career choice has to be made. Whatever it is, it's a critical mass that causes us to make some necessary adjustments. And there's a turnaround that occurs. There's things that happen. And can I preach to you as bad as it may seem at the moment and as difficult and as challenging as it may seem to us at the time that we have to make that turnaround, at the time that we have to make those necessary adjustments, at the time when the crisis takes place and the challenge comes to our life and lifestyle. As difficult as it, it may be and as it is hard as it may seem to us at that moment can I tell you that these things and these moments and these occurrences are, are not necessarily a bad thing I want to let that settle in and trickle down through the the various uh, levels of your consciousness and into your heart here uh, this morning and help you to realize that just because I'm faced with some challenges, just because things have reached a point where I cannot go on like this any longer, just because I'm faced with some issues that I realize they have to change for me just to merely be able to survive, that I cannot continue down this path without there being a collapse without there being something that is going to totally be destroyed as a result of me continuing on a relationship may be destroyed if I continue down this path amen my finances are going to feel the consequences of it if I continue down this path my life and lifestyle is going to be put in a jam if I continue down this path and we are confronted with with this critical situation where we have to make a choice. We are faced with the challenge of making some changes. And that is not always a bad thing. Matter of fact, the Lord sometimes allows things to come into our life as agitators. Amen. To create a desire. To create a sense of urgency. Because you wouldn't have gotten there on your own. You wouldn't have reached this point by yourself, but something had to happen. And aren't you thankful that God cares enough for us? Oh, he could have let you go on, Jonah, but he sent a storm and he prepared a well. He could have let you go on, Samson, amen, but he allowed there to be some changes in your life that weakened you so that you would realize your strength was not in yourself, but it was in God that anointed you with that strength. Amen. Israel, time and time again, you see throughout their long history, they were faced with challenges of famine. They were faced with challenges of pestilence uh, they were taken into captivity and over and over again God what was he trying to do he was trying to bring them to a critical mass uh, where they would realize hey we can't go on like this uh, there has to be a change uh, we got to see rainfall 
again. God's got to do something about removing and eradicating these pestilence in our lives. God's got to help us with the massive enemy that has came against us. We realize we can't do it on our own, but we need a God. We need a source outside of ourselves. I will preach to somebody here this morning that may be at that very point in your life where you need God to intervene. You need a change in your life. You realize things cannot continue as they are. Man, it was President John Fitzgerald Kennedy that stepped to the inaugural podium and he began to, uh, in January the 20th, uh, 1961, he began to give a very inspiring speech that we many times quote phrases from still to this day. This was at a time when it seemed like America was being outpaced in many areas. Uh, the Russians had already uh, sent a man into space and we were falling behind it would seem in the space program and there were other areas where we had been somewhat status quo and and uh, just just rocking along average and and not really being the leaders that we were capable of being in the world and so he wanted to inspire and spark uh, desire and, and a fervency in the hearts of young Americans and he stepped to the podium, began to give this speech. And in the speech, he said this. He said, we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend and oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. This we pledge and more. In other words, if this doesn't get the job done, we're willing to do even more than this. This is just the minimum of what we're willing to do. But we do realize that as a country, we've come to a critical mass. And we have to make some ch decisions and choices. And they're not all going to be easy decisions and easy choices for us to make. It may require that we go beyond the norm and make some sacrifices that we have not made in perhaps many years and we're going to have to go back to bearing burdens that maybe we were not comfortable with bearing and paying prices that we have not in recent history been comfortable with paying. We may have to stand up against enemies that we have been fearful of, that we will not shrink away. We will oppose any enemy. And we will be willing to do whatever to assure not only the survival, but the success of liberty. We want liberty to grow. We want it to go forward. Well, if I could take this illustration from history and uh, use it perhaps as a template for you and I and our lives and where we are and an example to inspire us and to help us to realize that, that we, we, we as a church, we as people of God, we all get into a place of being comfortable. We all can reach a place of complacency. We all can reach a place that when we come to God, God has blessed us, God has afforded us things that we did not have before, and God has given us a pretty comfortable lifestyle, and, and things have happened that uh, even, even we realize that, that it's far beyond what we even we even 
dreamed about and, and uh, even realized could take place in our lives and, and things has, has been good and God has been good to us. Why is it that we, amen, like many examples that we have in the Word of God, why is it, it's just a part of our human nature, I suppose, but I don't think that it has to be this way. Why is it that God has to strip people down to get their attention? Why is it that God has to send a storm into somebody's life to get their attention? Why is it that God has to allow some comforts and things to be taken away from them in order to get their attention? And nobody is inoculated from that. Nobody, amen, is above and beyond that. Uh, I'm going to tell you, one phone call can cause your world to go spiraling out of control. One day can change everything for you. I read about Samson one day. He's carrying the gates of Gaza on his back up a hill. Amen. He's got all the strength. I'm going to tell you, he's got the world by the tail. Everybody in the land is fearful of him. Everybody recognizes he's an anointed man. Uh, he was a great judge over Israel. He's a formidable foe. He's somebody that you don't want to mess with. But in one night, I'm telling you, in a 24-hour period, he went from carrying gates of Gaza on his back uh, to laying flat on his back uh, without any might or any power at the hand of Philistines. Uh, he was, uh, uh, his eyes plucked out, and he was placed uh, grinding in a meal for those Philistines, uh, and he was sport uh, for them, and they made fun and mocked him. They went from shaking in their boots at Sam to point in their finger in laughter at Samson. It turned around that quick. It happened that fast. And it can happen that fast in any one of our lives. Nobody is inoculated from it. Nobody reaches a point that you're above it. Nobody gets beyond it. You just understand that things can turn around. Things can change in a moment. And it's in those times when we realize, hey, I need to get a hold of God just like Samson did. It's during those situations that we realize, hey, it can't go on like this. Uh, amen. I'm going to perish. I'm going to die. I'm going to be wiped out. Things is, gonna, is going to get worse, not better, if I don't do some changing. And some things don't change in my life and turn around in my life. I cannot go on. Amen. Amen. It's important that we realize that. We take inventory of our lives and realize that hey I need God to turn some things around for me I, I don't know how I drifted into this place you know I don't think anybody intends on growing cold in the Lord I don't think anybody sits down and ponders and, and writes out goals and how that they're going to backslide and the steps that they're going to take to backsliding, how they're going to lose their prayer life and how they're going to allow their worship to die. I don't think anybody sets the funeral plans of their spiritual life out before it takes place and makes all the arrangements and says this is how it's going to occur. This is step by step how you can follow me as I make my drift towards the world until I'm gone and I'm lost and I'm without God. I don't think it happens that way. But I think it's one little minute carnal choice after another that leads to that point. 
Amen. It may get quiet in here, but that does not intimidate me in the least bit. I come to preach this morning with a word from God. You can say amen or you can sit there in silence, but I suggest, amen, that you take this message to heart this morning and receive it from God because I feel it burning in my spirit that somebody needs to be saved. Amen. You're on a course with destruction. You're headed down a dead-end road. Amen. And if you don't realize and make some changes and make a U-turn a turnaround. Amen. Things isn't going to work out so good for you. You may feel like you got it all together right now, but you just remember it could all turn around in just a moment. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So uh, we, we just kind of drift in that direction. We, we say, well, it's not important that I pray today. And then uh, a day turns into two, and two turns into a week, and, and then a week turns into a month. And before you know it, it's been a long time since you've cracked your Bible. It's been a long time since you've prayed. It's been a long time. And then, and then we start making excuses of why we cannot seemingly come to the house of God faithfully. I told you I was coming. Amen. We can't come to the house of God faithfully. We make what we think are justifiable reasons and excuses of why we cannot be here in the house of God. I'm going to tell you, it's not the will of the Lord that there be a 40 to 50% decrease in attendance here from Sunday morning to Wednesday night. Hello? That's not the will of God. That is not acceptable, and that is not apostolic. The Bible that I read said so much the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. You need to man up and realize that I have got to be the leader. I've got to be the person that takes it upon myself, the responsibility of being a man of God or a woman of God. And if I don't do so, then my children are going to suffer the consequences. My grandchildren are going to suffer the consequences. Amen. I don't want to be someone that just comes when it's convenient. Amen. When I don't have anything else to do, I'm going to tell you, that you've got to be faithful to God if you expect Him to be faithful to you. You won't continue blessing in your life. You've got to continue to be faithful to God. You want God to be good to you. You ought to be good to Him. You ought to realize that this church, amen, is where I found Him. This church is where I continue to be connected to Him. And I am not going to shirk my responsibility when it comes to the house of God. It's not right to be sporadic. It's not good to be spiritually sporadic. It's not healthy to be sporadic. It's, it's that up and down, in and out, on fire one minute. Have to send it out and, and all points bulletin for you the next minute. Wondering where you're at, what's going on. Amen. I get the feeling sometimes if I didn't stay right on some people and hound them all the time, that they never would make it. They never would live for God. They never would faithfully serve the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. That is not acceptable. you got to fall in love with this. you got to get a hold of this with all your heart. Amen. you got to desire it. Well, you can convince yourself, well, I'm doing pretty good. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. You may be doing pretty good, but you're putting seed in the ground as we speak that it's not going to come up too good. And it's not going to give the harvest and the result that you're looking for. So you better realize right 
right now. I got to make a turnaround. I got to make some changes. I got to get the right seed in the ground. I got to start doing the right things. I got to start worshiping again. I got to start praying again. I got to start reading my Bible again. I got to get back in the book again. I got to get back to the house of God again. I got to be a consistent Christian again. Oh, don't come in here with your smug attitude, amen, and your spirit of pride and think that it moves me one little bit. That doesn't move my needle in the least, amen. I'm going to tell you right to the whites of your eyes that you're wrong, amen, if you're not faithful to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And it will come. You mark it down. It will come to a critical mass. It will. Amen. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may be in the judgment. Wouldn't that be terrible? You know, the very worst thing that God could do with people is just let them go. That's the very worst thing that could happen. You ought to thank God that he's merciful enough that he sends something into your world to be an agitation to you. To disturb you a little bit. To shake you up a little bit. I hope I'm making some of you uncomfortable today because you sure need to be uncomfortable. You need to be stirred up. You need to be moved. Because obviously, amen, you don't realize that you're headed headlong in the lake of fire that's burning. The Bible says a flame that cannot be quenched. It tells me that there will be those that will, will beg for one drop of water to be soothed. Writhing, screaming, gnashing at teeth, the scripture says. That's the hell I'm talking about. And you know what? The fantastic thing is, is that you don't have to go. The Bible even says that if you go to hell, you'll be an intruder. I said an intruder. Praise God. Amen. While I'm on it, there's been those that have said that I don't preach against sin enough. Well, amen. wonder where they're at right now. I'm preaching against sin. Unfaithfulness is sin. I said unfaithfulness is sin. Lackadaisicalness and complacency is sin. Prayerlessness is sin. I'm going to tell you, we preach against sin. You just got to be here enough to know that we preach against sin. And it's sin that we're after here this morning. The sin of unfaithfulness. Amen. Praise God. 430 years in Egypt. 430 years. Now I realize the whole entire 430 years you can be seated was not always the struggle that it was towards the end. I realize that the entire 430 years were not rigorous years. But the Bible says in Exodus, it tells me that in verse 8, let me find it here, chapter 2 and verse, chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, that now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And they made, verse 14, their lives, the Egyptians did, bitter with heart bondage. In mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. In all their service, every way they could think of, every Every devious thing they could devise or come up with, they, they said, man, we're just going to make life hard for them. We're going to do our best to put the pressure on, 
and, and be as burdensome as we can be. All their service, wherein they made them serve, was with rigor. They said, we're going to be as mean, and we're going to be as hard, and we're going to be as difficult as we can be to make their life miserable. And the Bible says that's exactly what happened. But you know, that was all for a purpose, and that was all for a reason, because the Scripture lets me to know that God wanted to deliver them. He wanted to fulfill the promise that he had already made to Abraham, that he was going to make them a mighty nation. He was going to bring them out of bondage. He was going to bring them back out after a certain period of time. There was going to be some great things <clears throat> that was going to happen for the nation of Israel that was still lingering in the future, that was promises that God had in store for them, but yet they were not receiving them because why? They were complacent where they were at. They were satisfied with living and getting by and surviving and scratching out an existence in Egypt. And then finally, when this begins to happen, they're ruled with rigor. And uh, there begins to be things planned against them to try to push them down and suppress them. And they're living underneath this oppression. The scripture says in verse 23 of chapter 2, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of their bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Amen. Now, most of the time when we hear about respect, we hear about respecting the things of God. We, we, we learn about respecting the house of God, men of God, different things like that. But you ever wanted God to respect you? You ever desired God to have respect for you? The Bible tells me that God had respect unto them when they begin to desire Him. Amen. The turnaround doesn't take place until you turn around. Amen. I said the turnaround, God's intervention doesn't come to pass until you begin to intercede, until you begin to cry out, until you get desperate for God, until you're willing to make the turnaround in your life. You can't expect God to move and to work and to do the things that He has promised that He would do with your just casual attitude towards the things of God. You've got to get to the place that you say, God, I'm willing to do whatever. I'm willing to submit. I'm willing to open up my heart. I'm willing to yield. I'm willing to surrender all. I'm willing to come to an altar and lay it all down, whatever it takes. That's how you got in this thing is you came to an altar and you died out to your sin. You came to your altar and you said, God, I'm willing to give up whatever I must give up. I'm tired of this whole life. I'm tired. Does anybody identify you was addicted? You were a drunk. You were a drug addict. Your life was a mess. Your marriage was on the rocks. You had problems here and there all through your life. And you said, God, I need to turn around. And the turnaround came when you turned around. The turnaround came when you repented. The turnaround came when you cried out to God. The turnaround came when you began to seek the Lord. That's when it happens. It's when we turn around and say, God, I need you. God is able. He's not deficient in anything. 
I said he is not deficient in any area. He's not weak in any area. The, the, the onus is not on him. We're not waiting on him. We're waiting on people to make the turnaround and to make the change and to do what is necessary to see God move in their life. Hallelujah. Somebody determines to get God's attention. As long as there's no pain, as long as there's no hardship, as long as there's no real struggle, as long as there's no loss. Amen. Sort of feels like God's accentuating this sermon. Go ahead, God. <laughs> I'm just joking. God doesn't have anything to do with that. Besides, he's allowing it to happen. But it doesn't have anything. Let's say it this way. It doesn't have anything to do with my sermon this morning. But God did put this sermon in my heart. But I think the rain was forecasted before he gave this to me. So it really doesn't matter. I'm glad you're still able to smile this morning. Because it's hard to say amen. Or sick them to a dog that's eating your britches legs off. I understand. But as long as there's no pain, and as long as there's no hardship, and as long as things are good, our tendency is, I'm, I'm talking myself included here, our tendency is, is to kind of get slack. Kind of, well, you know, whew, pray. I mean, before when trouble was there, praying an hour didn't seem like any time at all. It's like the old preacher told the young preacher, he said, brother, he said, the old preacher was known for being a, a prayer warrior. He said, he said, man, I just can't pray two hours. He said, oh, son, you don't have enough trouble. You get enough trouble, you'll get enough prayer. And time won't matter to you so much anymore. Amen. Sometimes God allows some agitators in our lives. Praise God. Praise God. It's time for a turnaround. I said it's time for some people to make a turnaround. Oh, yes, we just kind of rock along. Maybe God has a reason for why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. Maybe God has caused some things to happen. and Maybe some things has worked out as they have because he's trying to get your attention. Ahab and Jezebel was leading Israel further and further into idolatry. Debauchery, sacrilege. Prophets were hiding out in caves. Everybody was intimidated that was a worshiper of God until God sent an agitator by the name of Elijah. And the Bible said that he troubled Israel. He troubled them. He troubled that king. He walked right in to where the king was and began to trouble him with his words and with his message. Amen. I'm going to tell you, we need something to trouble us sometimes. We need something to stir us up sometimes and move us. But the Bible tells us at the end of the day, revival came. Revival came to Israel as a result of a troubler, as a result of somebody that the enemy perceived, Ahab perceived, and Jezebel perceived as just a troublemaker. But it was that kind of trouble 
that brought them around and Israel around to God is still in control. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Mordecai, when he perceived all that was done, he began to see the well-laid plans of Haman and hear the reports of what Haman was planning to do. <coughs> and the goals and the ambitions that Haman had for the people of God. He left the comforts of his home. He put on sackcloth. He put ashes on his body. And he went out of the streets and began to cry until he found his way right up to the king's gate. And he couldn't go any further with sackcloth on, the Bible says, because no man could enter into the king's courts with sackcloth on. But he got as close as he could. He went as far as he could go. And he began to make his protest heard. Are you willing to go as far as you can go with this? As much as you, I realize it takes God's intervention. I realize it takes the king's attention. It, it takes God working. It takes God moving. But we got to go to the point that we can go to. We got to get to the king's gate, brothers and sisters. I said, we got to get to the king's gate. <laughs> Scripture said he began to cry. And he told Esther, he said, you, you didn't think that you got placed in that position so that you could just prance around the palace and enjoy all the amenities here, do you? Do you think God raised you up and caused all of this to happen and you by chance be placed in this powerful position next to the king so that you could just enjoy it? So that you could just absorb and soak up the blessings? Oh no, there's a whole nation out here. That's dependent on you. You're the hinge that this big door is swinging on. And you need to go. And you need to make your way into the king's house. The Bible says she fasted about it. And finally she came to the conclusion. She said, if I perish, I perish. But we got to have a turnaround. Things can't go on like this. We got a strategy here. We're going we're gonna to set a banquet in order. And we're going to do what we can do. We're going to plan things up. Amen. And the scripture tells us in this story, and I don't have time to go into all the details of it, but in the midst of all of this, she builds the anticipation to the point that the king can already live with himself. He wants to know, what is it that you're requesting? What is it that you want? Tell me. Tell me. Amen. Isn't that just like a wife? Build that anticipation up. Hold back a little something to keep you coming and tell me what it is. He said, some of you brothers are having a hard time saying amen this morning. What is the request? She said, there's been a plan against my people to destroy them. There's been a plan against my people to eradicate. If they would have just been sold to another nation or people, I would not have made a big deal out of it. But the plan you see is to not just sell them into bondage. The plan you see is to totally annihilate them and destroy them. And that I cannot stand. There's some places and to some points, devil, you, you've devised a plan to destroy. You've devised a plan. You know, that's what the scripture said. 
steal, to steal, and to destroy. He wants to not only steal things from you, he won't stop there. If you continue to let him steal, he's coming back for more. He wants to steal and he wants to kill. Amen. And if you let him continue to kill desire and kill fervency and kill your prayer life and kill your worship, it won't be long until he's not going to stop there. He's going to come back for some more until he destroys the very memory of you. The memory we'll be talking about how you used to worship and how you used to be a child of God. You see the progression? He just wants to keep on until he totally wipes you out. Because he's not satisfied. He has a bloodthirstiness about him. And so she, he said, who is it that's doing this? Who, who is it that's planning this? And I said, well, it's the man right over there that's right here in the banquet. It's Haman. And Haman ran out of the room. Or the king went out of the room and Haman ran to where Hester was and began to plead for his life because he knew this wasn't looking good. And there was a chamberlain that finally cleared his throat and got up enough courage to come and said, Well, king, uh, I just have to tell you that Haman, he's been building a gallows over at his place. Matter of fact, it's right in his backyard. And he, he knew exactly how high it was and how big it was. And he was going to wheel this out in Main Street if you allowed him to. And he was going to hang Mordecai by that. That's the plan he had. And the king said, go get it. And then I want you to hang him by the gallows that he prepared. You talk about a major turnaround. You talk about a major turn of events. You talk about a situation being totally turned on its ear. This is a wonderful illustration of that until the Bible says as the days were in the Jews rested from their enemies and the month was turned unto them from sorrow to joy. They were all under distress. They were in sorrow. They were desperate. They were crying. And all of a sudden, they went from mourning to having a good day. They went from being in sorrow to possessing joy. That's what God wants to do for some. And it all happened in a moment. It doesn't matter what the enemy has planned. It doesn't what the, matter what the devil has devised. In a moment, right here today, it could happen before we leave this place that somebody experiences a total turnaround. Somebody gets a hold of a turtle, total turnaround in their life. And God is able to do that. I said God is a turnaround strategist. He knows exactly what needs to happen. He's just waiting on you. He has the power. He has the strength. He has the might. He has the ability. He has deliverance. He has victory. He has triumph. He has transformation. He has everything that you need. I said he has has everything that you, somebody hear me he's got everything that you need to experience a turnaround today why don't you stand to your feet raise your hands to him and let's cry out to God come on let's really cry out to him church Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Yes, God, I need to turn around. I need to turn around. I need a change in my life. Oh, I need to experience a difference today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, help us. Help us. I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. Let's, let's pray one with another right now. Would you reach over to a brother or sister in the Lord or maybe a family member and let's pray together. Let's, let's seek the Lord together right now. Thank you, Jesus. It's turnaround time. It's turnaround time. I, I'm going to get some things back. I don't know how I ended up here. I don't know how I got to this point. Started out, it really wasn't what I intended. It wasn't my plan to end up in this place. Wasn't what I wanted to be at this point. That wasn't the goal. I thought it was going to be so much different. My desire was is that I'd be further along than I am right now. Circumstances, life, problems, and even choices have led me to this point. But God, I need to turn around. I need to turn around. Maybe somebody like Samson said to the lad, lead me to the pillars which on Whereupon the house standeth. Somebody would say, God, if you'll let me and if you'll lead me to an altar. Somebody could pray a desperate prayer like Samson prayed. If only this once I could feel you again, I believe it would make a turnaround that I so desperately need. God, I'm asking you to turn things around for me. I'm asking you to change things for me. I'm asking you to make a difference in my life today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't want to just rock on. I don't want to just go on and headlong in my own self-will and my own self-governance and my own stubborn ways of doing things. But God, I need you, Lord, to help me to have a turnaround. Is there anybody that feels the tug of the Holy Ghost here this morning? Does anyone feel the call of God upon your life here this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you'd step out where you are and say, God, let it happen for me. Let it happen for me. Let it happen for me today. There's hope here. Yeah, you can experience it. You can feel it. You can have it. It can happen. Hallelujah. God, it can work here this morning for me. It can take place in my life today. I've fallen down in some areas. I've come up short in some things. I don't have the same faith and fervency. and I don't have the same hunger and desire that I used to have. I don't possess the same intensity for revival that I used to possess. I've lost some of my anointing. I've lost some of that touch of God and favor of God that was upon my life. And I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. 
Oh, somebody cry out to him. When he heard their cry, he turned their captivity. Oh, when he heard their cry to him, he said, I can't allow them to stay there being ruled with rigor under the oppression, under the difficulties and the challenges and the problems. If they'll just choose to cry out to me, I'll work for them. Oh, yes, 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 yes. God can work. God can move. God can help us. God can touch us today. God can minister to someone, but you got to cry out. Oh, you got to lift up your voice. You got to seek Him right now. You got to call on His name right now. Hallelujah. You got to be willing to humble yourself under His mighty hand. Say, God, I know you're the source. You're the source. You're able to turn my sorrow into joy. You're able to turn this burden, this oppression, and this bad experience into a good day. Hallelujah. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Oh, you can leave here with victory. You can leave here with strength. You can leave here. Oh, God, you can touch me anew. You can help me. Thank you. I got to get it back. I got to get it back. I can't afford to let it go. I got to get it back. I got to fight for it. I got I to gotta stir up some spiritual fight in me and spiritual desire in me that I haven't had stirred up in a long time. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. 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 I don't want to be a... I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want to be someone that falls away in these last days. Oh, I don't want to be a part of that number that walks away, but I want to be one of those that stays planted, stays fervent.